I'm Brent Grinna, and welcome to The Raise Podcast. We're talking to innovative advancement leaders who aren't satisfied with the status quo. Fundraising is in flux. Revenue's up, but donor counts are dropping. Phonathons are struggling and mass marketing isn't moving the needle. And our largest donors are increasingly feeling tapped out and challenging us to identify the next generation of supporters. But advancement isn't going extinct. It's being reinvented. That's why we're introducing the Raise podcast hosted by me, Brent Grinna, CEO of EverTrue. Join us as we push the boundaries to ensure future generations can benefit from access to education. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to spend time with Glenn Cossey, Vice President of Development and Alumni Relations at Bellarmine University. Glenn is a newly minted PhD, having pursued his doctorate in higher education leadership at Bellarmine. And he wrote his dissertation on the relationship between young alumni participation and giving. We also dive into why Glenn is so excited about Bellarmine making the leap from Division Two and joining the Atlantic Sun Conference and the implications for his role as a development leader in that context. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Here we go. Greetings and welcome to today's episode of the Raise Podcast. I am pleased to be joined by Glenn Cossey, the Vice President of Development and Alumni Relations at Bellarmine University in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. So this is unique in that most of our guests thus far, uh, I have known previously, and Glenn and I are just getting to know each other. We were connected uh, in regards to some of his work at the intersection of alumni engagement and participation. And Glenn is in fact, Dr. Glenn Cossey. So I haven't had a doctor on the show yet, uh, but it is really a pleasure to host you. And I look forward to learning more about your work. Before we dive into all of that, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, your role at Bellarmine, what you're excited about and the career path that led you there? Sure, sure. So the uh, being called Dr. Kasi is new to me. I just graduated from Bellarmine uh, this past May with my PhD in higher education leadership. So it's uh, it's still new to me, and it's fun to to be finally an alum of the university that I've been working at as the head of alumni for the last five, almost for five, 14 years now. So, uh, but no, I'm, I'm thanks for having me on the on this podcast. Um, so. My career get to this point you're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. Just, uh, you know, where things started for you, uh, even when you first heard of the word advancement, because it's not necessarily a career path that's always uh, well understood, and, and many folks sort of stumble into it, myself included, uh, via the entrepreneurial route. But I'm curious to know at what point you realized that the world of philanthropy was, was uh, the right place for you. Yeah, that's a great question. I was a, I was a history major in my undergrad, and I graduated from Notre Dame in 1987. And I was just a, a liberal arts major on the street looking for a job. And I got hired by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Uh, and heck, they hired me. So I took a job, and I didn't know if I'd stay there for two years or what. But I ended up spending 14 years there in a variety of roles, in a regional role. Then I went to the national office and was the, uh, the director of national field marketing. Ended up back as a regional director uh, in Louisville. And um, in 2001, I had an opportunity to move to the University of Louisville as their associate vice president. And while I was there and great things were happening, uh, this opportunity at Bellarmine opened up. And I was fortunate enough to get the vice president role. And that was in 2005. I've been here. Uh, it'll be 14 years in December. One of the things that stood out to me in reviewing your LinkedIn profile before uh, this episode is in a sector where there is so much turnover, and I feel like there's weekly some article about how short the tenures of uh, people in the advancement profession can be on average, you've really had three long-term roles over the course of your career, 14 years at St. Jude's, over four years at Louisville, and now uh, approaching 14 years at Bellarmine. That stands out, would you have expected that? And uh, I'm, I'm curious what what you've drawn from that, even as you think about recruiting and retaining talent. Well, I've in, in each of those each of those spots, I've been very fortunate to have fantastic teams around me, and we've built great teams and work with really solid people and strong people who have a, um, 
a core belief in the mission of what we're working on. And when you, in the previous question, when you asked about why development, why advancement, and that's, um, that's really a, 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 a key factor, I think, is that, you know, we're working to, without sounding hokey, we're working to better the lives of our students every day. And I get a real charge out of, and our whole team gets a real charge out of, um, you know, there's a whole new class of freshmen on campus right now. And, you know, we have a chance to participate in their journey here and, and help mold their lives and change the trajectory of their lives. You know, a lot of our kids here at Bellarmine, usually about 40% are first generation, about 30% are Pell eligible. Mm-hmm. So there are not, a lot of our, a lot of our kids don't come from uh, a background where a college education is a given or is, is necessarily uh, expected. And they're graduating with great rates from Bellarmine and, and getting great jobs. And I think that all along has been the mission the focus of what we do is helped make it what it has been. And I think that's why we I've stayed in the places I've been so long. And so when you joined the institution in 2005, that was as VP of Development and Alumni Relations? Or yes, was- I, was, I was recruited over from the University of Louisville to come to Bellarmine as the VP. Yeah, great. Yeah, so it is unusual when uh, you look at the number of careers I've had have been, have, the stops have been few. Yeah, and when you um, when you think about some of the team members that you've worked with along the way, um, where are they now? Anybody you've either mentored or just had a good relationship with that has gone on to do their own uh, leadership roles yet? Oh, or, there, yeah, there's, a, there's, there's a, several of those. There's a, um, uh, the, the, the head fundraiser at, at St. Jude now in Memphis is somebody that was on my team, on our team a long time ago. Uh, there's still some folks that have come back and are working there. Uh, and then here at Bellarmine, uh, I've been really fortunate that the core team that, we, that I came here with is, for the most part, still intact. Uh, there's a lot of longevity. I've been here 14 years and on the spread of, of, of tenure here, I'm in the middle. There's still, there's a couple of folks in the team who have been here over 30 years, a couple over 20 years. And then there's a few that have been here, uh, three more that have been here 10 years. So um, we've been very fortunate where you do read about uh, one of the biggest issues in higher ed advancement right now is that, is that people leave and bounce around and uh, knock on wood. We've been very fortunate to, uh, not have that situation here. What's the secret? I mean, is it, is it a surprise? Is, there, is it actively managed? Uh, I, I am curious because I think one of the challenges we often hear is that in order to advance professionally, um, you know, whether that's responsibility, compensation, you name it, it can be hard to kind of go up in an organization, which is why there's so much zigzagging in the sector. But it seems like that maybe isn't the case at Bellarmine. Well, because we've have a good team who've, and we've had a lot of results. Uh, we've been able to promote a lot of key people that have been here for a while and, 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 and provide competitive packages to keep them here. Uh, I think they have been recruited and ultimately sometimes like we all have, and, and I think they've chosen to stay here. I think we've created a great work environment and it's not, it's not just me. It's, it's the whole university around us. It's a, it's a really wonderful, caring place. And, um, uh, I know in this day and age that might sound, people might be cynical about that, but um, uh, we also have built our team that we're not competing against each other. We're, we have a very centralized development focus for the university and we approach all of our, our projects and our fundraising from a, almost from a project point of view to where we examine which prospects and we work as a team to get them. So we're not, we're not uh, pitting development officer against development officer to see who can get more calls and more closed rates. We set our goals as a group. We have individual goals for sure on a number of calls and visits and everything else, but our, our overall goals are met on priorities that are, are that we work with the president and the leadership team to, to create. And then we, we've been very fortunate to achieve a lot of those priorities. So we've had a lot of success too. And when you think about, either the goals that you've achieved or even just how, I mean, the world has changed a lot since 2005 when you took this role, but it sounds like there's been great success within the organization. Set the context a little bit for where things were in 2005 versus where they are today and where you see them heading in the next three to five years. Well, Bellarmine's a young institution. We, we, um, we were founded in 1950. So we had a, a our new prev, president, Susan Donovan, was inaugurated just two years ago. And at her inauguration, we had an alum from every single class that we have ever graduated, you know, March in the inauguration. So, and until the, um, the mid-90s, we were primarily a, a, a small, sleepy commuter school. 
and with, with noted to have a great education, but most of our students worked. There wasn't a whole lot of campus life. And our former president, uh, Jay McGowan, really worked on building a, a campus culture. He built a lot of dorms. We became more regional in focus. Uh, more st student life was real important. We, uh, you know, 60% or so of our freshmen now live on campus. So it's, it's still split between on-campus and commuters, but there's definitely a student life aspect. So in 2005, we were, um, we just started uh, a new strategic plan called Vision 2020. Right when I came in, the Dr. Do that Dr. McGowan formed, and uh, we with that we had a hundred million dollar campaign, that we was the by far the largest that Bellarmine has ever undertaken. Uh, you know we're still we we're at that point that was you know 15 years ago almost we were our, our, we only had alums that were uh, 50 years out of school. So there's there and there there wasn't family wealth with a lot of these families. They were earning their money still, and uh, so that was a huge target for us. And uh, we set to work and right as we were accomplishing that goal, uh, Dr. McGowan suddenly died about a year before the campaign was over. So we finished the campaign with an interim president and then welcomed Dr. Donovan in, in June of 2017. And I've been working ever since then to develop a new strategic plan and a new master plan and then it'll eventually lead into a new campaign for us. So we've grown a lot and we continue to grow and, uh, and do new things and, and, and uh, really try to be resilient and um, uh, opportunistic in this in this tough age for higher ed, especially for a, a liberal arts university like Bellarmine. And so when you say tough age, that's sort of juxtaposed against what has been a growth story, it sounds like, for Bellarmine. And so kind of what's your view on the changing uh, context we're operating in for higher ed and, and what that means for institutions like Bellarmine? What do you got to do for the next chapter? Yeah, because we've grown, but our but some of our the undergraduate growth was was substantial through the uh, between 2000 and about four or five years ago, and uh, the last few years is kind of kind of evened out, and there's not as many uh, high school graduates that are graduating demographically, so the pool is less, and families are aren't as willing to pay as much for um, tuition. You know, for years all colleges had tuition increases to to uh, fund their operations and everybody kept saying that can't keep happening. Well, we've come to that point now where it can't keep happening. So we need to look for other revenues and other ways of making a university strong and viable, whether it's through increased fundraising or whether it's through uh, online programs or adult education or other delivery models or graduate programs or online graduate programs that by developing that margin, we can continue keeping that mission of the strong liberal arts undergraduate education alive. Uh, one thing we're doing here at Bellarmine as part of our strategic plan and the first big piece out of it is as, as the plan was finishing up, we had an opportunity and were invited by the ASUN conference to uh, transition to Division One. So we've been a very successful Division Two program. We, in all of our sports, we've, we've gotten much, we've had a lot of success, we're very fortunate. Uh, we won the national championship of basketball in 2011, been to four Final Fours and in Kentucky in a basketball crazy environment. Yeah. That's what they seem to do. Uh, but now we're looking with the strat plan to increase our geographic diversity. And, and part of that is by elevating the front porch of the university through the move to D1, which will happen next year. We're in the, in the transition right now. Uh, we can increase our markets more to the Southeast. We're going to, uh, we're going to put admissions officers in, in Nashville. Uh, right now we're, we're looking at that where we might put, put somebody in Atlanta in the future where, where those markets are, where, where we'll have more exposure and continue to grow the university using our athletic success, and, and it's truly a student-athlete model here. They mm -hmm. graduate at the highest rate of almost any segment of our population. But uh, to continue to, to use that as a lever to uh, take Bellarmine to more people. Dr. Donovan has said that when she came to Louisville, she found that Bellarmine was the best-kept secret around, and she's determined that it's not a secret anymore. So we're ho hopefully you'll hear more about us in the future. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're, uh, we're really into March Madness here at Evertrue. So we're going to have to, uh, to keep tabs as, as you all uh, elevate. And, oh, and one of these days when we're on the, in the bracket and get a chance to be a bracket bus, it'll be fantastic. So can't wait. Can't wait. Um, well, look, let's dive into what we were really excited about to talk, uh, really excited to talk about today, uh, which is learning more about not only your decision to go down the path to get your PhD, but the specific topic. Uh, and, and we will share a link to your work. Um, I think it's 84 pages of uh, incredible material. And the title of the dissertation is The Relationship Between Young Alumni Participation and Giving, which is a hot topic. It is constantly talked about 
But I will say that it does feel like one of the areas that in spite of all of the attention that it gets, um, I feel like sometimes folks in your position really at the top of advancement organizations almost have to pay lip service to it. And what I mean by that is at the end of the day, when you're trying to achieve your $100 million campaign or your billion dollar campaign or whatever the campaign is, it is not going to happen via young alumni participation. And, and so it's interesting to me that in spite of your role, having to not only support revenue growth for the advancement organization at Bellarmine, but think about the strategic plan and how do you grow enrollment revenue and stay competitive with some of the macro trends you were talking about, you made a choice to invest a lot of time, years of your life into this relationship between young alumni participation and giving. And so I'm first curious to know how you even, you know, first thought of the concept uh, and the journey to make the decision that, yes, I am going to go and pursue this and I'm specifically going to focus on this topic, which is not necessarily a topic that most senior vice presidents uh, might have top of mind. Yeah, that's a great question. So we started a, a PhD in higher education leadership and it was starting in the fall of, of 2015. And as they were planning it, Dr. McGowan, our former president, called me in his office and basically he said, I want you to take this, to go into this program. He said, uh, I'll probably retire before you will, and it'll be helpful to have the, P he called the PhD the coin of the realm in higher ed. And he said, it'll be helpful to you have a PhD when the new person comes in. And so you know, my boss told me to do it, and I was intrigued by it, so I jumped in and did it and started it. And then right after I started, he passed away. So then I kind of said, I'm going to finish this up and and um, kind of in tribute to him and because I started it. And, but from the beginning, it was, you know, in higher education leadership. And, and I was the only person in my cohort who did anything like development or alumni. Most of my colleagues were um, on the provost track or were professors or were in student affairs or, you know, student services. And uh, so from the beginning, I've, I've just all my research on giving an alumni in, in different ways, even for doing a legal legal trends in higher ed, I would, I would, I talked about gifts and bad gifts and bad gift agreements and stuff. So everything I did was based on, on the work that I do. And as it came time to focus on the dissertation, I, um, I also have always thought, so as a side note, I've always, I've been a proponent that, that your, your alumni organization and your major giving organization functions have to be totally melded together and work together. Our, our, our uh, executive director of the alumni association sits on our major giving team. So again, we're a small university. So the people who are alumni volunteers are also donors and they're, you know, they're involved in many segments. So we've, we completely have an integrated alumni and development. And just to set context, what's the, what's the head count of the advancement organization? Oh, about 17 people. It's pretty 17. small. So Top that would include alumni relations and development. Yeah. 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 And we also have special events. A couple, there's too many people to do special events for the you know, university wide. Yep. So it's a small team. But um, uh, so I was always interested in uh, that relationship. So I, I, when I started doing my research, I wanted to see how, you know, do all these alumni events that we do and all this engagement that we have, and we have really strong alumni engagement numbers, um, does it matter with giving? And as, um, as we did it, my research showed that if you can get young alumni to get engaged as seniors and as young alums are much more likely to give throughout their lifetime. So knowing that we're building for the future, that's, I saw as a segment that was easy to, that was not easy, but it was an opportunity to examine their engagement. And uh, I was able to take a, 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 a year where uh, I used a 14, 15 academic year, the 2014, 2015 year. And I was able to get young alumni attendance at events for the three years prior and the three years after that year and look at their giving patterns before, during, and after that year, and then determine if they went to an event or not, because we keep track of who came to events, and then um, statistically see if that made a difference. Were you surprised? Did you go into it with a hypothesis? Because intuitively that makes sense, and there have been other you know, studies, many of which you cite, that had historically correlated engagement to giving in some capacity. Um, were there specific aspects of that 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 were 
unique to your approach or, or did you have other hypotheses that you wanted to? Well, yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was the, that was my hypothesis. And there's also this great hope because I thought I'd been really demoralizing if we came through the end and saw that events don't have any effect, effect on giving. Definitely change your uh, strategic plan for sure. Yeah, my, my alumni team said, if you find out that it doesn't work, don't tell us. <laughs> so, uh, um, but yeah, so we, um, we, we, we did go into it that way because there are lots of factors that relate to giving, but there weren't a whole lot of studies that looked at uh, participation itself as a, as a predictor of giving. And any major surprises as you went through the process? Uh, Even from the, you know, just taking stock of what kind of data was being captured, because if you don't have sound data to begin with, it's hard to run statistical analyses. And I think one of the big issues we see with, within the market and with our customers and so forth is that oftentimes even if there are statistics being applied, it's often being applied to data that is inaccurate to begin with. And so it can really skew the findings, but it sounds like you had a pretty good foundation in place as far as tracking young, young alumni attendance and giving and so forth. Yeah. So the, um, one of the surprises I found is that um, uh, we had the year after the 14, 15 year, we underwent a, a conversion of our, our uh, student information system, the, the basic mainframe system at the university. So I, I did learn that, that um, how important and how, how uh, I went back and verified the attendance figures for 14 and 15. So we were really certain they were pretty accurate. And there's a couple of, in the dissertation, I, I, I do uh, point out there's some limitations to it. And there might, you know, might've been some people who weren't there, but in the years during the conversion, we had a harder time capturing some of that data on the participation. So I did learn a lot about that, that how, you know, organizationally in your system matters on how you're able to, to, to gather it. And now we're gathering it again, but um, yeah, but, but in the end though, I wasn't surprised as much by the, um, uh, by the results. Uh, they, they 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 ended up where I thought they'd be, yeah. but it was it was good to see that, you know, statistically I can show that 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 getting involved does make a difference. I think one of the one of the um, interesting aspects around engagement is, and I think what your study proves is whether there was um, a direct integrated post event attendance appeal or outreach to really go out of your way to target those individuals and convert them as donors, there was inherently um, an influence that just by being there and then being a part of broad multi-channel appeals, whether that's email marketing or other um, ways that people are being solicited, there is an impact in donations. But I think yeah. what I'm curious to, to get your take on, because I think for so many of our, of our customers, um, we see an issue, which is if there isn't strong integration between alumni relations and fundraising, it's possible that you could have a really great event, engage people, put, on, you know, put forth a compelling experience, but then there isn't necessarily a follow-up plan for those individuals beyond maybe a thanks for coming or a survey of the event. And I feel like that's an area where in the, in the for-profit world, it feels like there's so much more of, of sort of strategy around the pre-event outreach and then the post-event follow-up. We've got a conference upcoming in Chicago next week. Coincidentally, it's the uh, AASP Association of Advancement Services Professionals Conference. And you know, for two weeks, we've sort of had a, uh, a plan in place around, you know, understanding who's going to be there and, and trying to reach out to people and then schedule conversations and get to know what's going on in, in various offices. And then there's a post-event follow-up touchpoint plan as well. But it doesn't feel like that's always the case in the advancement sector. Um, curious to get your thought on that, especially given the findings of this. this yeah, because uh, so, um, and one of the reasons that the young alumni was a great pool to use is there were a lot of other factors hadn't come in play yet. You know, they had not been trustees yet or board members yet. They hadn't made planned gifts yet. So you don't have gift officers probably assigned to them. So yeah, so there, it was more of a pure sample yeah. coming out. And uh, I think it does inform offices that uh, 
you should you know look at people who come to events and target them separately than those who didn't perhaps because mm-hmm. you know what I I showed a relationship between I looked at the giving three years before and three years after for those who hadn't given before and then made a gift in the three years after the 14, 15 year, those who didn't come to an event gave an average gift of $77. And those who did come to an event gave an average gift of $164 or their average giving was, that was their giving. So it was more than double because they came to an event. So then I looked at- That was really the only variable that was distinctive between those cohorts. Was whether they came to an event or not. Right. Yeah. They were, so I had, so then I looked at people who had, who had a giving history in the three years prior. And then who came to events and those people gave, were already giving at twice the level of those who didn't come to the event. So if you came to an event in 14, 15 and you were a donor, you had given about $76. Again, they're really young. It's 10, we're looking at people who are 10 years out. So they're, they're much closer to graduation. So they're giving smaller gifts, but then those who came to an event, those who came to an event had been giving at twice the level. So it shows a predisposition to those who are giving want to come to events. And then when you look at uh, people who gave before and after, it was it went from 116 to 240, more than double. So I, I think that shows that those who are already giving are going to give more by coming to an event. So we showed that that non-donors gave more by coming to an event afterwards, and donors increased their giving by double those who didn't come. So you can look at your populations and say, okay, here's young alums. And let's look at these folks who came to an event. Let's follow back up with them with maybe perhaps specialized appeals. So we do a lot of general appeals. We do our phone-a-thon and letters and our, you know, day giving and all the other ways that you can, especially on the annual fund side. But, you know, we're looking now in our, in our shop of what are some more focused appeals on event mm-hmm. attendees. I think there's a great opportunity for future research to go across the board for all alums. You know, I, I think if I had to do this, if we, you know, that's, the, that's somebody's next dissertation yeah. is take, take a, an event year and look at an entire alumni base, and then you can break it down by age groups. Maybe but you can find out that it influences playing gifts or it influences major gifts. I imagine after you finish this dissertation, your alumni team was jumping for joy, and they were able to ask for much more budget, and you really had no uh, way to, uh, to justify not giving that. Is that fair? Well, it, it does. It shows there's an ROI to events, so it's important to keep doing them. You know, And I know a lot of people – um, question the events sometimes. And I think it, t- it, it informs us that we need to integrate our alumni development a- a- approaches because people coming to events are more likely to be, be- to be better donors. And, you know, so we, we always had it here, but I would suggest that you should, we should have alumni events that are attended by development officers. And we do that here and, and get to know your people that are there. And, and in fact, we've, we've expanded one of the roles, the role of our alumni leader this year to take a, a, a portfolio within the alumni association and start looking at identifying alumni leaders and alumni alums out there who can be major gift prospects and to start developing relationships and move beyond the event and look at, and at, at a more structured way of approaching them for their support. Yeah. We've been seeing, I think a uh, really strong movement around more strategic um, pre and post event follow-up. And, and I think even the idea that, uh, if somebody's going to, you know, what is the registration list? Who are those people which are assigned to gift officers? That's pretty common to look at, but then also of the event attendees, what's the wealth capacity? What's the historical giving information? Right. Who are the best potential, um, discovery portfolio assignees? Who are the, the, the best potential volunteers? Um, and then certainly what are we looking at from an overall donor retention rate or upgrade downgrade rate of the folks who attend events versus those who don't. And so I think, you know, instead of when the event is over, it being um, over and you kind of move on to the next thing, you know, the event ending is really the start of a whole set of new activities to build on that engagement and try to bring those attendees closer to the institution. Yeah, I agree. And, and with our efforts, you know, there's a national decline in the amount of, you know, the, the amount of money that's given to colleges and universities is, is increasing every year. I think it was 44 billion this past year. Um, uh, but the number of the participation rate is declining right. precipitously across the board. We've leveled ours off. Ours have been declining and we had more alums give this year than last year. 
and you know that percentage is problematic because we're better at finding alums now. There's hard, you don't have very, because of technology. There's no more right. used to have twenty percent lost alums, and and in a growing university, when your when your senior classes are bigger, you know they're three times as big as they were now thirty years ago. Your denominator in that percentage is growing. So we're looking at, at the total number of donors, and it increased this past year. So you know that's how you build a base for the future and and um and keep engagement going. Absolutely. And I think one of the, you know, one of the points that you made um, in the, in the dissertation related to most of your work is really looking at offline event attendance, in-person events, but you also had a section where you uh, referenced some of the work EAB had done citing how the influence of social media was changing the role of an alumni office. And, and I would imagine, especially with um, that growing young alumni population where the class sizes are bigger than they used to be. Um, curious to get your perspective on, on social media, the role it has played historically, the role it might be able to play in the future. I mean, you joined Bellarmine basically when, when Facebook was being created and, and right. here we are now. And, um, and, and you have this sort of um, unique ability to reach people in much more segmented ways. But um, I think for the most part, uh, the advancement world is still in the early innings of trying to harness some of those trends. So I'm curious how you think about doubling down on offline event um, investments, which clearly correlate with giving based on your work, but are expensive. You can only do so many of them. And then how do you think about that versus investing more in some of the new digital channels that uh, allow you to reach people maybe in a less high touch manner, uh, maybe it's a lower impact manner, but at, at greater scale. Yeah. And I think it's, a, um, it might not be an either or, but it's an and, you know, you get an and you have to, I think you have to do them both. I and mean, you look at social media and the impact it's had, look at reunions 30 years ago, you come to your reunion because that's the only way to keep track of all your classmates. And you know, like you say, Hey, you know, Hey Joe, Hey Mary, I haven't seen you forever. And now reunions don't seem to have us in some places, but we really push them and they're not, they aren't, there's some struggle there because you're keeping track with all your friends through Facebook. Yeah. I mean, we're basically having a reunion every day. Yeah. So that, that, that whole, that whole piece has changed, but then you can also get, you can also engage folks in the university on a daily basis in ways we couldn't before. And we've done a lot of, we call it non-event engagement where we've, we've, we do one or two a year where we segment a certain group of alums and engage them through social media to get, involved in the university. So uh, the first year we did it, we uh, uh, picked up the idea that um, teachers were put, would put penance in their classroom, especially their alma maters. And we thought, well, it, we're, you know, a, a tuition dependent school. So we reached out to all our education grads and said, if you fill out this form, we'll send you a, a Bellarmine pennant and you can hang it in your classroom. So one, we got updated information on them by filling the form out, we got clean information. And two, we have now Bellarmine, I think there's like 600 Bellarmine pennants hanging in classrooms around the area, around the region, where students can see it and already it's a, a school they're thinking of going to. That is a great idea. That is, uh, yeah. With, with nursing grads, you know, they have the, um, the, they have to carry the ID on their, on their, uh, their, their uh, smock or whatever, and then it has the, you know, the, the uh, elastic cord on it. We gave, we did the same thing with Bellarmine branded uh, ID badges, you know, so we did uh, the fancy socks for uh, uh, business grads, but we, so we targeted said, Hey, you're a, a business grad, you know, sign up on this form and we'll send you a pair of socks, you know, Bellarmine socks and had, have had great returns doing that. I like the uh, strategic swag. You don't hear about uh, that all that often, but, uh, but makes a lot of sense. And, and I guess a neat way to sort of marry, uh, you know, digital insights and being able to keep track of people so much more easily, but then still meet them with, in this case, offline experiences, basically. Yeah, and, and, and in a lot of cases, uh, a glance at the data showed that, that these were people who weren't coming to our events. So we're getting new folks engaged. You know, you do a lot of events, but only so many folks are going to come and come to a golf tournament, come to a pregame tailgate or come to a, you know, a, a, a happy hour or whatever. At some point there's some folks who just don't want to, the, the alumni events, not their thing, mm -hmm. but if we can get in that targeted swag, as you said, then they're engaging with the university with their alma mater and they feel good about it. So we're going to keep doing more of those as ways of getting people engaged. That's great. Yeah, I think it's also probably another example, though, of, 
of how do you then integrate that with other outreach channels? You know, how do you ensure that if you send the socks to the business grad and, and they weren't necessarily expecting it, um, you know, let's say that you ran a campaign where, where instead of asking them to fill out the information, we found them, we sent them the socks. How do we ensure that if our phone-a-thon team is calling them the following week, that they're aware of that and that we can, you know, potentially even change who we're calling and what our initial outreach message is, right. To, to, to sort of really maximize um, whatever goodwill you might've built via that sort of outreach. And that's why we all need bigger teams so we can crank the data more and get more stuff like that put out there. No doubt. Absolutely. Um, I think more and more like it used to be your annual, your annual fund money came in, you know, your phone-a-thon, was X and your mail program was Y. And they were, they were separate. People were phone donors or they were mail donors. Totally. Now you, you get a call, you're, you're, you cite, you see it on voicemail, the letter comes in your mail and you come to the office and go online and make your gift. And it's a, it's, it's the three together coming together that make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Or it could be the Facebook ad or the, you know, the Twitter, Instagram targeting on top of all of that as well. Um, I guess as we think about, like, let's, let's take a step away from the dissertation work, but when you think about the sector more broadly, I imagine you have peers you've gotten to know or other, uh, you know, senior vice presidents, maybe via some peer groups. Uh, I'm curious to know kind of what's top of mind when you think about those relationships and what people are talking about today versus maybe 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago when you were um, uh, stepping up into that senior vice president level. Is it the, is it the trends around uh, demographics and, and, and fewer um, prospective students, more competitive admissions? Are there, uh, is it about the young alumni or, or uh, broader donor count declines that folks are trying to reverse in the way that you have? I mean, what's top of mind among your peer group right now? There's a lot of talk I'm hearing and a lot of where my head is right now is, is data. And, you know, Advantage shops, yeah, I know. <laughs> Advantage shops were traditionally, you know, they used purely descriptive data. You'd run a list of donors who'd given in the last two years at $50 or more, and you send them a special package versus those who gave 20 or more, you know. And we, we, we split and we sorted and we mailed based on descriptive data. And we're all really good at that. And where we need to get better and where we're, I think, we all have to learn. And, and I think by, you know, the different products out there and, and, and there's lots of, you know, things, but how to use analytics and predictive data to do a better job of that. You know, you used to, you used to run your donor file with a, you know, with a, um, with a, you know, with wealth engine or target analytics or whoever it was and, and figure out who, uh, you know, and you get a list of your top business donors or your top business alums, you know, and you had this whole list and it's always disheartening because there's a bunch of people at the top of the list that you've never heard of before because they left school and didn't come back and made a billion dollars and, but they're not engaged. And I think the key now is to use tools and analytics and the power of data to determine which one of the, not just who has the highest capacity, but the top of that list should be who has the highest inclination with capacity to make gifts. And I think, yeah. again, I think we're all learning how to become smarter and go after people better. And I didn't quite understand that completely until I did the, you know, I learned the statistics in my, in my program and, um, and how we uh, managed to use stats to, to learn this, that I realized we can do more with that. And that's a big top of mind thing that I'm hearing at different conferences and all, and is, is how to use data better to, to find the people to get engaged in the university. I think that's where I'm excited working with Evertrue because, yeah. you know, social media is engagements that are, that are key and, and top of mind engagements. And, and there's people, there are people out there right now who are on our social media pages every day and they're watching, you know, you can go to our Instagram pages and, and feel like you're a student moving in right now and all the back to school stuff. And you're, you're living that. Everybody has their own unique relationship with their own time in college. And for a lot of people, they see those pictures and they could go back to when they were there. And that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a pure engagement. And if we can measure that better, we can maybe have more success. Yeah, we've talked a lot about this idea of, uh, you know, taking the traditional giving pyramid, which is really um, important when you're trying to achieve your revenue goals. And oftentimes that's where you do the wealth screening or you look at the past giving, you try to put people into the different categories and that helps inform your campaign feasibility and, and progress and so forth. But 
um, really with the growth of digital in other verticals, you've seen the shift to much more of a funnel mentality and, and this idea of flipping the giving pyramid to be able to really understand who is engaging of that group which have the most interesting capacity indicators. And once we know that, we know that they're interested generally in our institution. We might be able to infer exactly what they're most interested about. We can then figure out how much capacity they have. And based on that, we can route them either to volunteer engagement or a first time donor appeal, or all the way to major gift outreach or planned giving outreach. And, and it's this idea that instead of, trying to find out who has money and then go engage them. Let's find out who has, who's already engaged and, and then see what kind of capacity they might have. And that's really this idea of flipping the, the giving pyramid. Doesn't mean that there still isn't a really important need for uh, having the, the slots and the principal gift levels and, and the next level down. But there are in, in many um, uh, cases, tens or hundreds of thousands of engaged constituents with our customer base that are not being reached out to. In the meantime, we're sending cold emails or doing phone-a-thons to people who are not engaged. And there's really a misalignment of where we're spending money versus where uh, we've already got a warm audience, potentially more inclined as evidenced in your research to, to become donors or to grow their participation. Absolutely. You know, our, our colleagues in enrollment are changing how they operate. They used to mail. This, yes. If you want to get a bigger funnel, you mail more postcards out and you get more applications and you get more, you convert at a higher rate. And now the funnel's smaller, but they're looking at predictive models to determine where they are in a one to 10 point range. And then, you know, they, that can affect the financial aid models and everything else on how they're giving them. And, and, and we've had some success here with that at Bellarmine. And I think we need to turn that with advancement and development in the same way. And look I completely at- agree. And, and uh, I've spent a fair amount of time with a company uh, here in, uh, in, in the Northeast called Visit Days. And they do some really neat work around campus visit management to essentially support that stage of the enrollment funnel. And the way that the enrollment sector, well, part of it is, look, they have a year, right? And every single year when that cycle ends, you're starting over. And so I think the sense of urgency to really embrace technology and automation to improve those results is maybe greater than the advancement space where, you know, in some cases we have 50, 60, 70 years to build relationships with these constituents. They might only have 50 or 60 or 70 days where there's really a window to operate in the enrollment side. And, And so it's been really interesting to learn about that space. Yeah, I think that's where, that's where we have to all get better at and learn how to do it more. And, and uh, it's just to take new skills and different, you know, uh, you, you know, in my dream world, I'd have a data analyst on my team who, who goes to bed worried about the data at night and thinking about how to run, how to do something different tomorrow. Well, in the meantime, uh, we look forward yeah. to, to, to potentially uh, collaborating on some of those fronts, but um, look, I, I think some final thoughts that, that I wanted to, to just cover is when you think about, and you've covered a lot of this already, but um, we often are curious to get a perspective on um, where the sector is maybe over-investing. You know, are there things that we're doing because we've always done them, but the reality is it just might not make sense? And then are there areas that we're really under-investing that if you could just sort of reset the budget tomorrow where might you shift um, certain certain funds? Not necessarily at Bellarmine, but but I think in general. Well, I think one answer to that is uh, to both answers is technology. I think there's in uh, present company not included, but there are, there are uh, you know we're out here we're we're bombarded with so many ways to spend money and everything's fancier on technology and everything's fancier than next. So I think it'd be very easy to overinvest in technology and then not use it the right way. But I also think it's possible it's, it's happening. We're underinvesting in technology and we're, and we're, and you have to get what's right for your institution and the right thing you need right now. So I think you could answer technology on both sides of that because, you know, I get somebody in my inbox every single day and there's so many cool ideas and so many new ways of doing it. And when you look at it, you think, well, this was, doesn't, this isn't the fit for us. And that's where we were really happy with Evertrue because we saw it as being a fit that would work with us. I think the other place where maybe not investing correctly as a whole, and it might be uh, one, I don't think, 
I, I think budgets are tight across the board and, and people are, you know, on our team, we're, our bandwidth is full. There's not a whole lot, you know, if we do something new, we got to drop something else. Uh, you know, I'm busier now than I was five years ago. And I'm, that's more busy than I was 10 before that. So, um, but I think in with, if you were to get more people, it's how you get those people. And do you just keep dropping major gift officers in, which we all need them? Or do you, do you invest more in, uh, you know, new ways of using research to, to make us all work smarter and better? You know, do we use artificial intelligence or more predictive methods to, to inform what we're doing? Because that's what the rest of the world is doing. And I think that's where those investments could be more aligned. And, and I'm trying to learn more about so we can make better investments in the future. Yeah, I think your point about um, there not being a lot of excess capacity on the team, right? People are strapped. And I think that's where oftentimes, I would agree with you, I think over-investing or under-investing in technology is generally going to be determined by, is there a strategy in place that maps to the technology's capabilities? And then if there is, do we have people in place that are well-trained and accountable for achieving whatever goals are linked to that strategy? And I think when things have gone awry for, for Evertrue and our, our customers, it generally is when there's a misalignment between um, buying a technology for some reason that really is not aligned with strategy and there isn't people, uh, there isn't a, an allocation or a reallocation of human capital around, around the issue. And so we're constantly thinking about what we can do to, to streamline things or add new features to make things easier or more intuitive. But more often than not, I think that that job descriptions really need to evolve and, and goals need to be um, much more aligned with new capabilities that that technology can, uh, you know, can can bring forth. And um, and so I, I think you're spot on. You know, I think we can also look at, at almost like a, um, if we are for profit, look at a new market line. Where can you where can you go and find new ways, new donors to get engaged? So we. Yeah. We started an effort in our annual fund last year that Dr. Donovan was uh, had, had done at her previous institution, and it's focusing on parents. And we and even though we are a first gen school, there's a, still a lot of parents, especially in athletics, who might have uh, their kids have played club sports and all, and they have the capacity to get engaged. And, they, and maybe at the, at the high school, if they're private high school kids, they might have already been giving to that high school. Mm-hmm. So we're having a lot of success working with parents. Um, but you know, it's just, these parents are totally, I, I have three daughters who graduated from college and my stepson's a student here at Bellarmine now. And, um, you know, you're very highly invested in their lives on a daily basis. So you want to see it get better that way. I mentioned the D1 athletics, you know, we hired a, a athletic fundraiser as right before this all happened. And, and, uh, that's a new market line. There's people that are engaged now in athletics that weren't donors before because it's something new they're interested in. And I think if we can approach it from where are new markets that we can go to find instead of, you know, you keep pitching the same thing, scholarships and support and endowments and all. And some people just aren't interested in that. And that's probably why, you know, only 15% give, but if you can find something that's different, maybe it's sports, maybe it's parents that are getting them engaged and finding you know, almost like a new market line to go into. You can make a significant difference and get more people engaged. It sounds like similar to how you're thinking about some of the enrollment trends around Nashville being sort of a new market line. You yeah. can apply the same thing into to the advancement audience. And but what you can't do is 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 do everything. And I think making choices and sort of really being strategic about not only what you're going to do but what you're not going to do uh, is is important as well. Yeah, we have a solid new strategic plan here, and that helps us inform what we're doing because you can say, does this fit in the plan what we're doing, and and go forward with it that way too. So. We'll, uh, we'll conclude here shortly, but want to ask a couple of final questions. One, what is the, the most memorable trip, the most memorable visit uh, that you've ever been on in your fundraising career? Uh, anything really stand out? Most memorable trip or visit? I was, um, it, it wasn't like, it was, it was an experience, I think, but I was on, uh, I was fortunate enough to be on the small team that, that uh, hold up for a number of weeks in a row and, and helped make the successful application to go to the D1 and get accepted. And that was, it was just this past spring and that was a lot of fun. Um, was it kind of a down to the wire thing? So it was not a, it wasn't, it wasn't a sure thing. No, it was, it was a courtship. 
and and a, and and a lot of it's a, it's a great group that ASUN is, and but the, but you know before they were thinking a new partner, they had to do a lot. They did a lot of due diligence, and uh, we're we're very pleased to be going to to associate with them because the, the the due diligence they showed, we we know that they're it's a legit organization that's that's that shares many of the same values we share, or and most of those same values. And so uh, working on that team. To, to, to get that. And, and we had this gigantic press conference here on campus and it was just the buzz here in town. It was just a lot of fun. Um, Very cool. a, a, a donor trip. I, I don't know. Every time that you get to go and, and spend time with the donor and, and, and let them, and hear their passions for their alma mater, mostly it's alma maters and, and, and how much they what they love about Bellarmine and their memories and all. And to, to know you're playing a part in not only keeping their association with the university alive, but also helping the next associations re- begin because of their support is uh, that's why I'm, that's why I'm in it. It's just a lot of fun. I love it. Those are some really, uh, really good concluding thoughts. Uh, I will ask, are you hiring? We've got a great audience of advanced yeah. professionals listening. Any, any roles people should be thinking about? And we'll, uh, we'll link to the, the Bellarmine Advancement site as well. Yeah, we're, we're looking. We have, a, we have a new annual fund position posted right now, a leadership giving and uh, some strategic work in the annual fund. So uh, we're looking for the right person there. And uh, um, probably another athletic fundraiser within the year. So yeah. that would be something else. Somebody who knows has experience in major giving and athletics and uh, just stay tuned because we're growing. So great. Well, Glenn can't thank you enough for your time and perspective on uh, your career path and how, uh, how much stability there's been there in a sector where there's a lot of turnover. Also your work around uh, the intersection of young alumni engagement and participation and some of the exciting growth opportunities ahead of you all at Bellarmine. And uh, here's to uh, that first bracket-busting March Madness appearance. All right. The stability is all about our team. So it's it's the best team in higher ed. So we're thrilled with it. And uh, it's easy to to do what I do with a great team behind me. And uh, we're looking forward to working more with you guys. And uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Glenn. Take care. Thank you. 